This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. The TSC Alliance hosted the 2023 International TSC Research Conference, Fueling the Future, on September 7th through 9th, 2023, in Washington, D.C. This conference brought together over 200 researchers from around the world, representing a wide array of specialties and the entire spectrum from basic science all the way through to clinical research. The comprehensive three-day agenda included plenary sessions, breakout group discussions, a poster session, and reception, as well as an early career researcher symposium during which early stage investigators had the opportunity to report on their cutting-edge research network and learn about the diverse paths forward in the field of TSC research. To learn more about how the conference came together, what was discussed, and what are some of the outcomes coming from those discussions, I caught up separately with the two co-chairs of this year's conference. First, I spoke with Dr. Shafali Jeste. Dr. Jeste is a behavioral child neurologist specializing in autism and related neurodevelopmental disorders. She is professor of pediatrics and neurology at the USC Keck School of Medicine and the Las Madrinas Chair, Chief of Neurology and Co-Director of the Neurological Institute at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Here's my conversation with Shafali. So I'm now joined by one of the co-chairs of this year's research conference, Dr. Shafali Jeste. Dr. Jeste, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. As I said, you were one of the co-chairs of this year's conference. What are the responsibilities of the co-chair and what was that experience like for you? It was a fun experience. I learned a lot and I got to really learn about the different types of research being done in TSC across the world, really, because I'm really focused on TAND. And so I see, you know, I have a pretty good sense of that landscape. But of course, we were responsible for basically creating the scientific program. So that starts with just thinking about what the big goals are, setting up some general strategies of the topics we want to make sure are covered and what the format would look like, and then putting out a call for scientific abstracts to be selected either for poster presentations or oral presentations or even panels. And then once we sort of put that all together, we received a lot of applications and a lot of abstracts, and then we had to actually go through all of them and determine what the best fit for those would be in terms of what how they would be presented. So that was the place where I got to learn a lot about the different kinds of science being you know, pursued in TSC. Once we created the program, then, you know, there's a lot of fine tuning that took place over many months. And then, you know, we come to the days of the meeting and then there was a lot of responsibilities just around moderating sessions, making sure that things were moving smoothly, and then mostly just learning and paying attention during the session so that we could provide a good summary and discussion for the last panel, which was really the, the wrap up. In that vein of learning about other science and research that's going on, your co-chair, Rebecca Erie, is kind of on the opposite end of the research spectrum from you. You yep. know, she works with cells and you work with patients in clinic. What was your experience like working with her? I loved working with her. I did not, I knew of her. I think I'd met her, you know, briefly at different research conferences at the research conferences in the past, but this was certainly the most time I'd ever spent with her. He's incredibly bright, but also also really easy to work with, collaborative, and had a lot of great ideas, you know, and I think that the synergy of having someone like me who's very clinical and someone like her who's a basic researcher is really necessary for meetings like this because research requires both ends of that 
you know, kind of translational spectrum. So we take discoveries that we learn at the level of the cell or the the protein or the, the model system. And we take those discoveries eventually into patients. And then those discoveries actually drive clinical care. And so I think to have that happen, you need both sets of expertise. And I also think, you know, in TSC in particular, there is a lot of really amazing work being done across the spectrum of translational science and not just neuroscience. Translational science, meaning people people who are studying TSC's effect in the lungs and in the kidneys and in the heart and other organ systems. And so you really need someone who understands that space to be able to actually, you know, determine what science should be presented and in what capacity. So you talk about how there's synergy around bringing researchers at all levels of research together. This conference also brings together family members who share their perspective and talk about the unmet need. What impact does that have on researchers hearing from families affected by TSC? It's hugely impactful. And I think if you asked any researcher, you know, what their probably most meaningful interaction was during the meeting, it was talking to families or meeting kids or adults with TSC who were there. Because ultimately, all of us are there because we want to develop and pursue, you know, programs and, and make discoveries that are going to improve the lives of individuals with TSC, period. That's the goal. And so if the work that we're doing is able to be like message to that community and we can get feedback on, does this, is this meaningful? You know, how might this be impactful or not? That's incredibly important. It kind of helps us choose priorities and drive certain initiatives. I also would say, I think for the basic researchers, and I've found this to be true during my career in many different capacities, which is our basic researchers often spend all of their time in the lab. They're working really hard doing very important work, but they don't have the privilege of working with people who are affected by the conditions that they're, you know, ultimately trying to understand. And so when they have opportunities like this to be able to actually see the condition and to see what people who are affected by it, what they experience, I think it actually really inspires them and motivates them to do the work. I mean, I'm lucky. I'm a clinical researcher, so I do research. The patients that I take care of are the ones that are in my studies, you know? So it's like, it's so, I get the gratification almost on a day-to-day basis of like what the research can mean for families, but for the basic researchers don't really get that otherwise. So one of the highlights of this conference was the Early Career Researcher Symposium. Mm-hmm. What impact does it have for a young researcher going to a conference like this, getting to meet other researchers from around the world, maybe getting to present their work in front of a crowd? How does that impact their interest in the field and ultimately their career? Yes, I think the early Early Career Symposium was, first of all, just great because of the number of people that were there. I was so impressed. And it was such a big range. I actually ended up stepping in and joining the panel at the end. And I, you know, took a landscape of who was in the, and it was a mix of MDs, PhDs, you know, pre-doctoral students, very junior faculty, like a big mix of people with different backgrounds and interests. And I think for them, there's a couple of advantages to being involved with a group program like that. One is networking. So they get to meet more senior investigators and clinicians and leaders in the field of TSC who can, you know, help launch their own careers and help maybe even give guidance around like next steps. Like if they're applying for funding for a grant or thinking about a new project, you know, connecting with those people who really have expertise is extremely helpful. So I think the networking and connections is one really key area. And the second, I think, again, it sort of goes back to what I was saying about just the kind of inspiration that one gets from just being around others who are working towards a similar goal. I think it can be really motivating when you're a junior person or a student 
And again, you've spent a lot of your time maybe really focused on this one project in a lab to be able to see like, gosh, look at the scope of what's happening in TSC. Like what an incredible research community that I'm now entering. I think it actually probably solidifies their motivation to stay connected to TSC and to maybe pursue a career in TSC. You and Rebecca were very intentional about bringing in speakers outside of TSC to serve on panels and to present. What was the thinking behind that approach and, and how do you think it was received? I hope it was well received. I received good feedback about it and it seemed like people were really engaged in the audience when these speakers were sharing their work. The motivation behind that was really that I think there's a lot of questions we ask in TSC and a lot of problems we face even clinically with you know patients who have TSC that are not entirely TSC specific. And I'll give you the example of TAND, you know, is one of the best ones. You know, TAND is an umbrella that really encompasses the entire Diagnostic Statistics Manual, the DSM. And so there are people who are doing research on autism, for instance, not TSC-related autism, but autism more broadly or autism associated with other genetic conditions. There's people studying anxiety. They're studying parent stress, you know, topics that are so relevant to TAND. Again, even if they're not TSC-specific, but we could learn a lot from that work being done outside of the TSC community. And so that was one big motivation. And then it's kind of bi-directional. The other reason that we wanted to include those individuals is that some of them have not been exposed to TSC before. It's not an area that they have been researching, but you know they're using methods or asking questions that could be really relevant to TSC. And so it actually affords us the opportunity of possibly bringing new people into the field. So I think it kind of works both ways. And I do think it was well-received. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We had a panel on the ethics of early intervention on the second day, which I had the chance to moderate. And I thought it was really, really informative because we had a couple of people who have done trials in TSC specifically, you know, like Dr. Joswiak and Dr. Bevan. And then we had Dr. Kasari who worked with me on JETS. It was her behavioral intervention, but she's done many early intervention studies in infants who don't have TSC who have other neurodevelopmental concerns. And then Kate McDuffie, who, you know, studies the ethics of early detection, early intervention. And to hear them kind of have a dialogue around common experiences, common themes, you know, directions you might want to take in the future. I thought it was really a rich, rich discussion. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to sit in on, on that session and I was taken by how that wasn't like a typical research conference conversation. You know, there was back and forth and there was a lot of conversation yeah. too about the impact on the caregiver in mm-hmm. participating in interventional yeah. research. And it felt like a much bigger conversation that there's a lot of area there still to explore moving forward. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. And I think folks appreciated the fact that we created an environment where there was ample opportunity for discussion and for Q&A. And so that it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of sort of lectures that people were, you know, listening to and then just sort of moving on. Like we wanted people to process, discuss, develop new ideas from the science that was presented. We have these robust conversations and discussions. How do we continue to foster the relationships that started at this conference and move some of these ideas forward? That's a great question. And I think one quick answer is something that we actually had thought about in our last panel, which was like the wrap up, was around maybe having some working groups that continue to meet around some key topic areas like access to early detection or access to intervention. 
there were a bunch of topics that came up that we thought like, you know, this needs a little bit more conversation, you know, developing some clinical endpoints that are relevant to TSC that could span studies. You know, we, we had a lot of really good discussions in some of our breakout groups and then that came out of the panels that we thought, you know, yeah, we started the dialogue. Let's actually turn these into working groups that can generate some action items, be they RFAs for future funding or collaborative grants that get written on certain programs. So I think that would be something the TS Alliance can definitely help to promote and to really sort of move forward. The other idea that came up was, you know, is taking some of the topics that were of big interest and in making sure that we do webinars through the Alliance so that folks can join, making sure some of this work is presented at other scientific conferences. So our big International Society for Autism Research meeting is coming up. It's next year, but the abstracts are doing about a month. That could be a place that we present, you know, we submit some of the TSC work to bring it to, you know, other investigators and clinicians. My final question to you is, were there any other discussions or plenary topics that really excited you or inspired you? A theme that came up for me through a lot of the talks, in particular, I'd say Dr. Bevin's keynote about the Vigabitrin trial was that there's definitely a need, but there's potentially value in early developmental surveillance. So meaning, you know, the fact that kids are just engaged in studies and we're monitoring their development and that we're giving parents feedback on their child's development, like that in itself might have therapeutic value because that theme came up when people talked about clinical trials and and then there was discussion about like, you know, how do you make clinical trials even more accessible for families? And so this idea that like, you know, just getting people access is a really big unmet need perhaps. And that again, looking at the data from the Vigabitrin trial, sure there weren't different between treatment and placebo, but it looked like a lot of the babies made gains. And is that perhaps just because they were enrolled in a trial and were being followed? I think that's something that we should be pursuing, like really thinking about how do you study that? How do you understand that better? That was a topic that was discussed quite a bit during the conference because I think a lot of people were struck by that when Dr. Bevan presented her prevent data. So that for me was, I think, one big sort of exciting avenue that was, I think, opened up. Well, thank you so much for your leadership in this conference and for your continued hard work in TSC. And it was great getting to chat and catch up with you. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. My thanks to Shafali for sharing her insights from the conference and for her continued leadership in TSC research. Next, I spoke with Dr. Rebecca Erie. Dr. Erie is the Associate Professor of Cell and Developmental Biology and Neurological Surgery at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. So in order to maintain consistency between research conferences, Dr. Erie was invited to co-chair this conference after serving as co-chair of the virtual TSC research conference held in 2021. So here's my conversation with Rebecca. I'm now joined by Dr. Rebecca Erie, the Associate Professor of Cell and Developmental Biology and Neurological Surgery at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, and she also co-chaired this year's International TSC Research Conference. Dr. Erie, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about the conference. So this was actually the second time that you've co-chaired this conference. You co-chaired in 2021. But when we did the conference that year, of course, we were in the middle of the pandemic. The conference was completely virtual. 
How was your experience different this time around having people in person? So I, I think that it was clear from moving between all the event rooms that everybody was pretty excited to be back together. I think the 2021 conference was relatively successful because this is a community where a lot of the researchers, advocates and families and patients know each other pretty well. So we had done all right in the virtual sessions. But one of the things that was really nice about being back in person is those informal hallway conversations, which are just more difficult to have over Zoom. So getting to catch up with people, talk about ideas that were sparked by the more formal presentations, there were just many opportunities to do that. And hopefully also the early career researchers that are more new to the field and maybe didn't know as many people if they came in 2021 or perhaps this was their first conference, hopefully felt really welcomed in and want to continue in the field. So I think that just the proximity and the added sort of casual interaction element, it's a real highlight for me. And did you have any other general impressions about how the conference went overall? I think one of the things that my co-chair and I were just really excited to see is that we tried to bring in people from different disciplines and it was very exciting to see them speaking to each other. So as an organizer, you want people to interact and to come away with new ideas and to be excited about potential new directions. And it's always hard to quantify that when you're one person walking around the hallways. But I did feel like I saw a lot of conversations. And so I'm really hopeful that we achieved our goal and that we'll see some new proposals coming in, new initiatives following up on all of these discussions that we had during the conference. So following up on that a little bit, you co-chaired this year with Dr. Shafali Jeste, and you two are kind of on opposite ends of the research spectrum. You know, you work in basic science and she works in a more clinical setting where she's doing early intervention work. First of all, what was that experience like working with her to plan this conference? I think it was fabulous because she's very organized and she also came in with some clear visions about topics that would be exciting to cover. And maybe something that was a surprise to both of us is that there, there were some areas that each of us independently had come in thinking were really important to cover and then some that were particular to each of us. So there was maybe more overlap than you might expect, which was exciting. And what was enjoyable too, and a thing that I really took from it and that I think trainees from my group and hopefully others took from it too, is that it's really valuable for us to hear from folks all across the TSC community. That's something that's tough for us to get at other conferences sometimes. And it really informs how we think about what we do. As an example, my lab is really interested in early development of the brain. And so we think a lot about what is potentially the right time and what are the different sort of molecular ways that we might be able to influence or prevent or treat Huber and Sega development. So we think about brain development a lot, and we're particularly interested in finding kind of new ways to target brain manifestations of TSC. So we think about that all the time. But something that we think about much less because we're so far on the basic side is if we find something that we think is a good new candidate, and ideally, you know, it starts making its way through preclinical models and into the clinic, how do we achieve consistent dosing in children that might have to take that? And that was something that Jafali had brought in a speaker to talk about a trial to get sort of precision dosing and get much more sort of constant and reliable drug levels with existing agents. And that was really a talk where you know, I stepped back and said, oh, yeah, that's not something that we think about on the daily. It is very important, of course, but 
you know, when we put a drug on cells in the dish, we can give it whenever we want. We can just make sure it's consistent. You know, we don't have to think as much about delivery. And so I was really grateful to have those other topics covered because it also helps us think about aspects that are ultimately going to be important in moving from sort of like the pure discovery phase all the way into implementation. Building off of that same idea, this conference really is unique in that it includes not just basic researchers, but also clinician researchers. And it also features family presenters, people who share about their own lived experience with TSC. What is it like for trainees in your lab, for example, to hear from families about the burden of the disease and how does that impact their work in the lab? I think it influences them in several ways. One is, you know, a reminder of why are they coming to work every day? Most folks that enter graduate school in the biomedical sciences even if you know they know that they don't necessarily want to be in a career where they're directly treating patients, a lot of them are really, really strongly motivated by wanting to make things better for humans. They want to improve human health, and they've chosen to focus on TSC. So they still really want to know what are the pressing problems, what are the things that are most impactful to patients, where a better understanding of biology and development could really solve problems that haven't been easily solved by other means. So it's really motivating for them because they want to help people and they want to meet the people that they're helping when they can. I would also say that a lot of people, at least in my group, are completing dual degrees. So they're going to be MD, PhDs. And so this is sort of an early window for them into the patients and families that they're most likely to be interacting with. And, you know, presumably if they go into practice where they treat, for example, neurological manifestations of TSC, you know, they're potentially going to have very long-term relationships with patients and families of individuals with TSC. So it has a real personal impact on them. And I think also highlights for them aspects of TSC that they don't think about every single day. And that's partially because of necessity, right, to do the kind of work that we do. They have to become really hyper-focused experts in one particular area, but then they want to contribute their findings back to the larger research community. And as we're sort of focusing in during our training, particularly during the PhD phase, we get very narrowly focused on our area of expertise. And, and that's usually needed and it's it's needed for a while and it can be a good thing. But we also want to remember sort of what the larger context is and to think about other aspects. So another thing that I think trainees in my group and hopefully other trainees and early career researchers attending the conference got is that there are many different ways that people approach thinking about TSC. And we can really get some insights that would be hard to get any other way by looking at things that are common and different between our subfields. Probably the example of this that I cite most often is that, you know, not always, but often uh, we as TSC researchers tend to focus in on sort of one manifestation or one tissue. So my lab thinks a lot about brain development <laughs> and we're very interested in that, but we can also really learn a lot and get some clues about what might be similar and different by talking to researchers who study how TSC affects the immune system. So mTOR signaling is very well known to impact many aspects of immune cell regulation. There are immune cells that come into the brain. We have to remember to think about that. We also need to think about 
heart development, right? Why are cardiac rhabdomyomas different from the brain manifestations of TSC? And we can probably get clues that will help us drive biological discovery by looking at, you know, heart versus lung versus kidney versus skin and trying to understand how this common genetic starting point gives us very different results at the cellular level. So something that we really value is being able to hear from folks all across that part of the research field and also to understand, you know, which aspects are really impactful to patients and families. We just did an in-house recap of this conference uh, between a couple of research groups at my home institution. And one of the talks that the trainees raised was one that focused on sources of parental stress. So when parents have children with TSC, what aspects are kind of causing them the most stress as caregivers? And it was not necessarily the ones that we would have naively predicted. So an important aspect that was raised was facial hematomas and other things that are visible because parents might be concerned that it would be influencing how kids experience the school environment, for example. So it was also really important for us as basic researchers to hear where areas that we could do more and that we could better serve the TSC community. What were some sessions or topics that personally excited you? And what were some other sessions that really resonated within your institution that came up in that internal recap? It's hard for me to pick just one because as the co-chair, right, we were excited about everything that we put in the program. We probably could have done two more days worth of things that we thought were really up and coming and exciting. But I can highlight a few that I was excited about. The one was our very first plenary session. We had a speaker, again, a little bit from outside the TSC field, but a researcher who focuses on sort of new ways to drive inhibition of different pathways, in this case, the mTOR signaling pathway in cells. And what they were getting at and why I was excited to invite them to speak is that they wanted to think about what are ways that we can kind of make existing treatments work more effectively. So give this particular mTOR inhibitor very high activity against the pathway and sort of a more durable effect so you don't have to give it as often. But the other part of the puzzle that they were interested in that I found really exciting was this idea of minimizing what we would call on-target, maybe off-tissue effects. So for example, if you want to restrict the effect of a drug to only one tissue or a subset of tissues so that you avoid side effects on other healthy tissues in the body. Well, how do you do that? And so in this example, they had published an mTOR inhibitor, a third generation inhibitor that can go everywhere in the body, including into the brain, which not all drugs can. And then they had sort of thought about the biochemistry, the natural biochemistry of the pathway and developed an inhibitor that went along with that drug that would essentially block activity of the mTOR inhibitor, but that second component was unable to enter the brain. And so if you give them both, what you can get is brain-restricted inhibition of mTOR pathway activity. And so that's a really cool idea to me because if you know we could, for example, treat brain hematomas without having side effects on the immune system, that seems like it has a lot of potential future value for minimizing unpleasant side effects, for example. So that's one. Another set of talks that I was quite excited about is focused on really new approaches that let us try to model the development and maturation of different tissues in the dish. So 
This is a really exciting aspect of research that's emerged over the last decade and I think has really tremendous promise in understanding TSC better. So we had multiple talks where folks presented approaches such as organoid cultures, so growing mini brains in the dish that are made from induced pluripotent stem cells that come from TSC patients. We had another talk about precision cut lung slice modeling where we take thick slices of lung tissue, in this case, from a research animal model and look at it over time. And why that's exciting is that both of those and some of the other accompanying techniques let us look both at sort of tissue-specific effects of TSC1 and 2 mutation. So again, getting back to why are things different across different tissues for different patients and how can we figure out how best to approach that? So looking across organs, but also because it lets us look over time. So it's really difficult. We don't have a way to image brain development continuously over days in the situation where it's actually happening, nor can we visualize lung development even in the early postnatal period or later as it's happening. And so these more common complex and sophisticated ways of looking at cell activity in tissues let us see things that we just had no way to see before. And so now we can start to say, okay, if you know we have a tissue where all the cells in it are heterozygous for TSC1 or for TSC2, which would be the case in many patients, how do those cells interact with each other? How do they divide? Is that pattern different? you know, in a way that helps us understand the biology of what's going on. What about if there are immune cells in there? Because immune cells are often in motion, right? They're moving around, they are surveilling the tissue, they're recognizing different events that are happening. And we have to really be able to look at live cells with advanced microscopy and other approaches to be able to understand that process better. It's similar to if we look at a photograph of a human versus watching a two-hour movie of them doing something. Those are very different things. Would these advanced models potentially allow us to get a better understanding of timing for intervention Mm -hmm. in terms of what would be most effective and also maybe facilitate translation of like Mm -hmm. drug development from cells into people? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely considerable interest in industry and also in the research space in using some of these models for screening approaches, right? So if we can better replicate what is happening in the tissue, both in terms of like what developmental stage are we reflecting in the dish and also sort of which cells are responding at which times in these complex tissues, the hope would be that then we have a much better way to find hits, candidate treatments that are more likely to make it all the way through the pipeline into patients. Because if we're better at reflecting what things look like in the patient at the start, we can hopefully screen for things in a really specific way. So you've mentioned that both you and Shafali were very intentional about inviting speakers outside of TSC to serve on panels and present at this conference. What was the rationale behind that decision? And I'm wondering if you could share some examples of how it was ultimately additive to the conference overall. One reason we wanted to do that is science and clinical research in general really benefit from sort of continuously pushing ourselves to bring in new perspectives. There are many sort of discoveries through the history of science. They're not necessarily because the discoverer was able to do something that nobody else can do. It's often because they were able to look at the problem that everybody was looking at in a different way. So 
bringing new perspectives in is one way to continue to sort of push us to not be set in our ways, right? And to think about new approaches and bring in things that we might not have considered, but that could be really, really useful to the field. So thinking about drug treatments, the speaker that I mentioned previously, who is thinking about how to restrict drug effects to particular organs is not necessarily a TSC focused individual, but came sort of more from the cancer biology and chemistry world. But people who think about TSC all the time, we can think about lots of potential applications for being able to inhibit mTOR activity really selectively in terms of where it happens within the body. So I think that's a good example of how just having a a slightly different idea when we're talking about targeting pathways can spur a lot of potential new approaches. That was personally a big driver for me. And one thing that I particularly appreciated about the folks that she brought in from kind of elsewhere in the rare disease community is that they have a lot of knowledge on topics that look very useful to clinicians and scientists, and particularly folks who want to have really well-designed studies. The topics that were raised by some of these speakers, like when you are doing a trial where parents are having to do behavioral interventions or to check in regularly with the clinicians, well, how do you do that, right? If people can people do it remotely? Do they have to travel to the hospital? Do they have to travel to the clinic? There are many aspects of that that, of course, impact folks who want to participate in trials related to TSC, but they also impact people generally who are participating in clinical trials, either themselves or their children. So those ideas, right, I think are applicable across lots of areas. And we want to do the very best that we can. And so for that, we have to look broadly and find the best practices wherever they are. Absolutely. And hopefully the research conference serves as the start of the conversation with some of these people. And there's opportunities for continued consultation, collaboration, and potentially even growing our field of researchers into these other areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that we really tried to specifically put into the program to encourage that were the breakout sessions that we had on one day. So we had four different breakout sessions and the organizing committee for the conference was kind of split up between those sessions. We brought in particular speakers for each of those and had folks in the audience ask questions. We had almost as much time for questions and discussions as we did for platform presentations. But the other thing that we really wanted to emphasize that we added on the last day is a report back from those breakout sessions because each person can only go to one. I, for example, was in big data and machine learning, but could have been just as excited to go to the neural development one. So I was grateful to have trainees that we could split up between all the sessions. But we wanted to have a report back both so that if people wanted to hear about other sessions, they could, but also so that the breakout session co-chairs could kind of come back and say, here are four or five things for the research community, the TSC Alliance, the patient and family advocates to consider implementing, right? Or, or getting together, you know, here's an area where we think we could have a follow-up discussion about what to do next. So when, as you identify those potential paths forward, how do we kind of harness the energy and the momentum from a conference like this and carry it 
forward and you know continue to foster the relationships formed continue to build off of the ideas generated so that mm-hmm. we actually make progress towards some of these goals yeah. after we've met some of this i think it depends on the particular item right there are a couple of things where at least in my group we came up with specific suggestions where expertise that the tsc alliance has already developed we just had specific asks from the research community to say hey, what about, you know, as people are designing studies where they might eventually produce a lot of data that's going to be contributed back to the natural history database or the other initiatives, can we get consultation time so that we prepare things the right way so that we can contribute them back in the way that we all want to happen? So in a couple of cases, there are pretty concrete items that hopefully will not be too time consuming for all of us to think about implementing. For a couple of the other ones, I think we're fortunate now to have tremendous expertise in the room from people all around the world who have been running clinical trials and doing sort of field leading science. People who know pretty well now, for example, what does it take to prepare a research data set so that it can be used again, which is what we want ultimately. What we hope for is that particularly in some of these studies that either have large numbers of patients, lots of genetic information, or lots of biologic experimental information. You know, we don't want it just to sit there. We want it to be used again. And now that we have a lot of experts in the room who know kind of what would it take to pick up somebody else's data set, one of the things that we're hoping for, at least for my breakout group, is a couple of conversations over the next year so that we can come up with some straightforward, you know, implementable, but useful guidelines to say, if you're thinking about starting a study and you want to contribute the data back, here's how you might want to organize it. Trying to get out ahead of it so that we're really well-prepared and the information is in a nice usable format going forward. Um, That's one like pretty data science heavy example. There are analogous ones from the other breakout sessions as well. So you've mentioned that you had several trainees from your lab at the conference and the conference, of course, featured an early career researcher symposium with a panel that you got to sit on. What feedback did you get from your trainees about the experience at the conference and the early career research symposium? And what impact does it have on a young researcher being able to not just go to a conference like this, but also have that opportunity to ask questions of more seasoned researchers and present their work either via presentation or poster? Well, I think you put your finger on it. One of the great things about going to a conference, at least thinking back to when I was early career, and I think this is also true for my trainees, one of the great things about going to the conference is that you can talk to all of these other researchers. And a a real highlight, I think, of this conference in particular is that You know, most of the speakers are there the full time. They're very easy to find. That's not always the case at larger conferences. And so you really have the opportunity to talk to the people behind the papers and ask them any questions that you may have had. And I do want to give a special thanks to all the senior researchers who were there who really made an effort to be at all the sessions, to sit at tables with different people at all of the meals so that we could kind of mix and mingle and early career folks could get those questions answered. I think another thing that was really valuable that the organizers of the early career researcher session put together was a career development panel. And why that's valuable 
is, you know, ideally we want to bring in researchers to the TSC field and have them stay and continue doing research for many years. And to do that, it's really helpful to them to sort of have a roadmap for what are the different ways that this could go, right? If I know that I want to be a clinician scientist, what are the steps that I take to get there? If I am moving between a location outside of the U.S. to do a postdoc in the U.S., what are the options for supporting my postdoctoral fellowship? That's not always transparent when you're at the beginning of your career. And so having a panel of folks who are able to speak to what the various mechanisms are and you know, how do you do those things? When is the right time to start thinking about them? Really gives folks a lot of the kind of structure and inside information that helps them continue in the field, which is ultimately what we all want, I think. So do you have any lasting big picture thoughts about the conference? Anything else that really stuck with you? when thinking about it? So this would be, let me see, this is my sixth conference. No, this is my seventh time. So I I first came in 2015. And one thing that I just really, again, appreciate about this conference is how enthusiastic and open all of the attendees are to meeting everybody else. As I said, I came into the TSC field as an early career, like a junior faculty. My award from the TSC Alliance to do research was the first grant I got as an independent PI. And so ever since then, I've I've really appreciated how collaborative the field is, the strong voice that the patient and advocate community brings so that we really have a sense of, you know, how does our work impact that population? And all of that really kind of comes together at this conference for me in a way that I, I don't get many other places. You know, mostly I just want to encourage people to attend and continue participating really enthusiastically and speaking up on behalf of DSC research and treatment. Well, thank you for your role in continuing to cultivate that community of collaboration. And thank you for your leadership on this conference. Oh, yeah. Thank you all for having me. It was a pleasure. My thanks again to both Dr. Erie and Dr. Jeste for sharing about this very successful research conference. I get really excited about the future of science when I get to talk to them about the science that they're excited about. And what is very clear from that discussion is that there's a lot of cutting edge work being done both on the basic science side and the clinical research side that will hopefully pave the way forward for new treatments and ultimately better care for all of those living with TSC. I'd also like this opportunity to thank all the sponsors who made this conference possible, especially our presenting sponsors, Nobel Pharma and Meredith Pharmaceuticals, and our featured sponsor, Jazz Pharmaceuticals. I'll share a link to the program book from the conference in the show description so that you can learn more about some of the research that was presented at the conference. And later this year, the TSC Alliance will share a conference summary highlighting all of the outcomes that came out of this conference. So be sure to be looking for that soon. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of TSC Now. See you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.